Hey everybody, welcome back to Beers and Careers. I'm your host, Mark Agustinelli. Um, as always, Beers and Careers is sponsored by the Davis Companies, www.davisco's.com, D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com. Uh, Davis is a staffing firm specifically focused on helping you find technical talent uh, in your local market. We're all over the country, so check them out. Um, today's guest is Ryan Mannion. You may recall we had Nick Hutchinson on the podcast a little while back, the founder of Book Thinkers. Ryan is his business partner, and it's how I met Nick. Ryan and I um, used to network together a little bit back in the day, and then we talked about him making the leap to this new gig, but we hit a lot of great stuff here. We talked a lot about authenticity, the value of alignment, and uh, the difference between your mindset as someone as part of a company versus the being the owner of a company. Um, Ryan's a genuine awesome guy and uh, we got deep we got deep on this podcast i hope you enjoy it um and would love your feedback uh, so check it out Mannion, ryan i should say really i should call you by your formal uh given first name but uh, welcome to beers and careers man and thanks for coming on thanks mark it's a pleasure man i'm super excited to have this conversation i got my beer right by my side appreciate it love it love it what is the drink of choice today for mr Mannion? <sighs> It is a Oktoberfest made oh. in, um, it's pretty rare. It's made in Fredericksburg, Texas, but it's, uh, it's a German beer. No way. Yeah. You're, and you are we're dialing in to this web conference call, but you, you are currently in Texas. I am in Austin, Texas, and I just cracked the beer at 2 o'clock on a, uh, what's today, Tuesday? Yep. <laughs> It's two eleven for the record. You're you're cool. Um, I can't wait to get into the move and all that kind of stuff. But usually on beers and careers, just to warm it up and let uh, the audience know you, we ask uh, a couple rapid fire questions. So if you uh, if you don't mind, I'd love to know what's uh, your favorite cocktail or libation. It's good. It's a good question. It used to be a martini until I got introduced to Mexican martinis while I've been down here, which is a tequila martini, and uh, I think that is my new go-to. So it's it's like silver tequila and like olive juice, olive brine. Yeah, I think it's more of a like a. I believe it's a reposado. Okay. But they they do have olives, so there's a little bit of olive taste to it. Does it have vermouth in it? Is that is that a uh, is that a no go for you if there is? No, I'm I'm honestly just saying. So you know, I pulled it up. Wow. Um, orange liqueur, good tequila, lime juice, and a little lemon lime soda is what it says. But it, I'm sure you can cut all that out. Wow, that's cool. That's a new one. I'm trying that. I love tequila and I love martinis, so that sounds awesome. Um, a new go-to man for that same reason. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, what? What's your favorite curse word? Definitely fuck. <laughs> Unequivocally. Uh, I saw your question before I had this conversation, and that one there was no doubt in my mind that the answer was fuck. <laughs> and for what reason? I don't. I'm not really sure. It's awesome, man. It's a. Uh, it's the. We've been doing the podcast for about a year now, and it's by far and away ninety percent of answers. Wow. So I love it. Um, <clears throat> how about favorite guilty pleasure? Um, 
I would say besides like, you know, besides like, uh, besides like older women and threesomes and stuff, I'd say probably, <laughs> I'd say probably, uh, you know what I love, man? I love, I used to love rattling the cage for, of like older managers. So like whenever, whenever like an older manager is like harping on something that I don't believe to be true and I just know it's not, I love to be able to challenge that belief system and I love to come out on the other side with a win. I love it. Can you give me an example? Do you have any of a memory or you, I know you, I do appreciate what you're saying, but I'd love to know if you got any. Let's just say, um, my stepdad, who is an amazing person, uh, who is also a chief in the former company that I work for, let's just say he, uh, is pretty hard headed and he's right like 98% of the time, but there is that 2% he's not. And let's say probably in year six, I think with the company, I finally had enough brass where I could actually be right, uh, in the, in the conversations. So awesome. uh, that was a really cool, cool moment. That is an interesting guilty pleasure. I think it's awesome that you just like to fuck with people. <laughs> I love it. That's essentially There's nothing right. worse than like an old person set in their ways. Mm. To me. Right, not not willing to uh, continually change. Love it. Yes. You you like quotes? I know you're into quotes, which is sweet. I'm pumped to hear. Do you have what your favorite quote is? It's pretty basic, man. It's uh, live a good life, and in the end, it's not the years in a life; it's the life in a years. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the years, and it's an Abe Lincoln quote that I really love. I love that. I love that. Our owners, uh, who you know, Bob, uh, had a boat down in Florida and it was, uh, the boat's name was Dash. It, to represent the Dash in your years of like, you know, 1985 to 2080 or whatever, right? But like that Dash in the middle, same thing. It's like that's all that matters is what happens in the middle. I love that. Uh, so real quick question on the guilty pleasure thing. Yeah. What's the normal response? Like, do you usually get, like, chocolate? And have you ever shared yours? I have gotten chocolate. I have gotten chocolate. Ooh, my favorite guilty pleasure. I'm, I'm, I'm like a weird dude where it's, like, very mood-focused. Like, sometimes it's a cigar and a bourbon. And then, like, other times it's escaping all of reality and playing golf. Like, I'm one of those guys when I play golf, I, I walk. I shut my phone off and I've zoned completely out and I really, and I, and I really enjoy it. Um, then other times it's sneaking candy while my children are downstairs and they're around and I'm in the kitchen, like sneaking food just <laughs> to get it in. Like I, <laughs> like I can't tell you enough how many Sour Patch Kids I've eaten in my, in, in the, in the five years my children have been alive without them knowing. And so the best part about it is my oldest son, my five-year-old, is oblivious. He's like, he's sharp as a tack, but he's oblivious to me, like, chomping away. My three-year-old, I will eat Sour Patch Kids, and I could be talking to him 20 minutes later, and he goes, what's that smell? What, what do you have in your mouth? What did you eat? And I'd be like, nothing. I haven't eaten anything. But he sniffs it right out. And then if I don't give him a straight answer, the other, the other day he caught me eating uh, a Reese's peanut butter cup. I guess candy is like officially my guilty pleasure now that I'm talking it out with you. <laughs> but he caught me eating a Reese's Pieces cup. 
And by caught, I mean like he sniffed my breath minutes later after I did it. And he goes, I know what you had, peanut butter. And I was like, dude, just give me a break. Like, if you're going to bed in five minutes, you can't be even sugar. So, uh, yes, for the most part, I get pretty lame answers. I don't get uh, threesomes and older women, which is the best thing in the world. Can't well, I was wondering, I'm like, you probably have, like, uh, a bunch of, like, married men and women on this podcast. And so yes. you probably don't get the little bit of zest that I'm feeling over here when I get asked that question. <laughs> What's your favorite guilty pleasure? Going on a three-day bender, actually, every couple months, just to test to see if I still got it with the boys. That's really the favorite, which I guess is also one of mine. Um, the, candy, the candy thing's cool, man. Like I was gonna say chocolate. If I if I was married, I would have went with the same response. And it is funny, you know. It's good. That's good family humor. When my when my neighbor the other day made a comment being like, Mark really likes candy, huh? Like, to my wife, and I, like, overheard it. Like, and he's a buddy. Like, you know, I, like, I'm not going to lie. I was, like, lying in bed that night being like, do I have a, do I have a problem? Like, like, is this, like, is this, like, not normal? Are people not normally sneaking candy by their children? But whatever. I digress. It's insane. The things that go on in my brain are just shocking. Uh, what was, what was Ryan Mannion's first job? First First paying job. I worked for my I worked for my uh, grandfather in his uh, in a fourth generation family owned construction company. Oh, cool! I, <laughs> I still remember he'd pick me up. I'd be like ten or twelve years old. This is how I know that everything runs in the family. I'd be at this young age, right, and we would get in his low rider uh, truck, like this Mitsubishi truck. And he would take us the, the long route to the office down like Main Street where all the Spanish girls are walking and he'd be playing Spanish music and be like, I saw you looking at her. <laughs> I'm like, Grandpa, dude, you do this every day. Like, but yeah, man, I, uh, I do have a family owned, we had a family owned construction business. I decided to not continue, uh, with the company. So it dissolved because, uh, one, I'm allergic to sawdust and two, I'm just never been kind of a blue collar. Is it blue collar? Yeah, blue collar guy. So yeah, there you go, there you go. That's cool though. But you soon sounds like you spent some time in that blue collar landscape. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Years. Now I know you didn't know what you're gonna be when you grew up, but like what? So I'll save you that one. But I am interested to know because to me, you're an optimization guy. You're kind of like I'll always messing with performance optimization of yourself. Which I think why we probably hit it off back in the day selling. Um, what about your daily routine? Would people find most weird besides the threesomes? Well, it's not daily. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna ask me about my addiction. You said guilty pleasure. Love it. Uh, I mean, I read books a lot. So, like, in the morning when you wake up. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, morning routine very often. Um, and if it's not my morning routine, I'm doing it at lunch or whatever. So I would say people, you know, my age, are that's kind of weird. Like, I don't think yeah. people are reading, you know, 30, 40 books a year and doing it every day. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. I also have a buy a lot. <laughs> I also, 
have a biological thing where after I eat breakfast, I have to go to the bathroom. Yes. I don't know. I think that's more normal, though. I think that is normal. I, I, I don't know if it's true, but when I was in high school working at a hockey camp, there was a guy who was, he was working to become a uh, PT, and he was like, that's the way you know your body's on schedule is it should happen naturally at the same time every morning i think i think right when you wake up so i was like shit and like since i was 14 i believe that (laughs) it might not even be true but you know never let the truth get in the way of a good story so yeah that's what i told i told my brother is just like genetic a part of us too and then he got uh and then he got colitis so Mm, there you go (laughs) i don't know actually (laughs) That's why we're not doctors. That's why we're not <laughs> doctors. So now for the audience to know, Ryan um, works directly with Nick, who we had on the podcast recently. Um, and they, Nick started Book Thinkers. Ryan, do you want to just give your background, like your quick overview of like how you, what you did post-grad and how you ended up where you're at today? Yeah. I, uh, so I went to school in Newport, Rhode Island at South Regina. I remember I spent more time, I think, looking into the ocean than I did looking at the professor Yep. Uh, during my class. And during that time, I, as I was graduating, I kind of thought to myself, you know, what are my goals for the next 10 years? And so uh, I don't know if it's naturally, but I had no idea really what I wanted to do. I actually had an epiphany. I was on, um, this was freshman year in the fall. I was very shy, respectful, like, uh, you know, I grew up, you probably know, I grew up with a single mother, and, and so she embarked all this, like, levels of respect and love and everything and kind of my being. And anyways, I was shy, so I, there was this pretty girl that passed me freshman year on campus, and she looked at me, and she smiled, and I, like, shuddered. I was like, and, you know, I don't even know what my face did because it was uh, I was so shy. And um, I said to myself in that moment, I was like, college is going to go one of two ways. I'm either going to I'm either going to talk with everyone or talk with no one. And there's a very awkward in between. Right. So if we like casually know each other, I might be like sometimes I'll be like, hey, Mark. Other times I'm not going to say anything. And like, that's really weird. Yeah. So at that point in my life, I decided that I'm just going to say hi to everybody. And so I went from this shy kid to saying hi to everybody. You know, and I was on the football team and stuff. And uh, and right when I was starting to do that, I had an epiphany, too, where I was like, look, if I have no idea what I want to do in life. But I do know that as I'm continuing to put myself out there and improve my communication skills and my ability to talk with people, it's going to put me in a positive direction in whatever field I take up. Yeah. So uh, long story short, um, you know, made financial goals after I left college, which I wanted to make a hundred grand by the age of 25. I wanted to make 250 by the age of 27. I wanted to make a million by the age of 30. And I knew that that 30 marker is going to have to take a change in behavior. Like subconsciously, I knew I'd have to start my own business to, you know, most likely to make a million dollars a year. And so, uh, yeah, man. So I worked for Coughlin companies, which is how we met for seven years. Uh, just an incredible company in Westboro, Mass. Um, kind of had some good 
you know, worked really hard, had some good deals roll through and, uh, ended up working for the CEO the last 18 months, who's an amazing person. And, um, and then jumped ship and, and started my own business or, you know, found a business that I really believed in. That was a startup through a friend of a friend, consulted them for six months and then dove in full time. And I've been doing it for the last like year and a half. Mm-hmm. When you, when you, um, Clearly, when you took on the consulting, I guess, like, I'm interested to know how that decision went down. Because you were doing well, right? Your lifestyle is pretty good, making good cake, like, in an interesting and growing company. Um, That's third generation? Fourth. Fourth generation, right? The thing's not going anywhere. They run it very well, fiscally responsible. But, like, what was the, was the impetus just financially motivated to jump ship? No, it was, um, you know, my boss had left and then I basically took on his responsibilities and I never really wanted, <laughs> I never really wanted to uh, lead a business development department. I just, I just didn't want to, even though looking back, I'm like, man, that would have been a pretty fun life. But, uh, I never wanted to do that. And so I went from like this sales role to being pushed into like a, a role that's almost like a director or VP or whatever. And so I started to uh, journal every single day. One thing that I'm grateful for and one goal that I had and literally did it for over 365 days. And I realized that like 70 or 80 percent of the time it was to have my own business. Mm. And so like when I literally do that 80 percent of time for 365 days, I'm like, how can I not pursue this path? Right. So that was how you drove the awareness internally. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's wild. What was the um, what was the impetus for starting to journal? It was uh, reading um, one of one of Grant Cardone's book. Yes. He does that every day. He's done it for years. Wow. Cool. Really cool. And so then you made the jump. How what was your role when you first started consulting? You know what else is pretty cool? I um. I had a uh, group of buddies who were all into personal development. And at the time I was 25 and we read a book, the compound effect by, uh, yep. I think it's Darren Hardy. Um, and so in that book, it, it talks about tracking your ha- uh, habits and routines with a group. And so we organized a group, we built an Excel spreadsheet. We tracked what we did weekly. We met at the end of the week, shared everything and so we did that for over a year, and that's how I started to evolve a lot of these routines, one of them being this goal and gratefulness uh, journal. Mm, that's wild. You know what? We, You and I were talking a little bit before we started about Whoop. That's been the most fun thing about the Whoop is I'm in a couple different groups, like guys I go to the gym with, guys I play golf with, guys I work here with, and you can see everyone's data. We don't meet, like, on it, but, like, when I call someone and I'm checking in and I'm on the phone with a buddy – I'm always like pulling up their whoop data and be like, dude, you haven't worked out all week? What's going on? And I find it so, it's just so much more motivational when you get your buddies kind of keeping you. It's like the keeping up with the Joneses can be really turned into a positive force. Yeah. You know, if, if, if it's, um, well constructed, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, totally. If you're friends too, where you could just have fun with it, you know, which is what you're doing. Yes. No, it, it becomes a little, yeah. So it's not another stressor in your life. So, but, t- so, but t- talk to me. Cause like, if I had to guess, this is my guess. 
and we've never talked about it, but I'm guessing your consulting was really you just helping out a buddy in the beginning that it became more formal consulting. But like, what was the thing that you brought to the table initially that piqued Nick's interest in you consulting with him? So we, um, yeah, man, there's always strategy behind everything. I don't even think I told Nick this, but, uh, this is what we're here for the nuggets of juice <laughs> on beers and careers. You heard it here first. <laughs> I love this podcast. Love it. <laughs> Another podcast has some man with their guilty pleasure is, uh, it's the best. In the audience. I like to hear. Um, so yeah, man. Yeah. You need more people like me, like single 29 years old answering that question. But anyways, I, um, you know, I had this group and it was with two of my buddies and, uh, how do I put it? Nick, Nick was in a group, same group, but Nick's my business partner with one of the kids in our group. And I always said like, man, I want to end up getting to Nick. Cause Nick, yeah. you know, he's got his own business. He's a smart dude. Like there's a lot that we have in common. And so somehow strategically, I worked my way into merging the groups and then I built rapport with Nick in that process. And then in building rapport with Nick, you meet with them every week. So it's like, this guy's either an idiot or he's not an idiot. Right. And right. so, yeah. So we got to know each other in that process. And then I said, man, like, you know, he built respect for me. And I said, look, I could help you. I think with your business, I'm willing to just meet with you and talk through things because you're by yourself. And so I did that for literally like probably four months, you know, like almost every weekend. And then, um, and it was just fun. And then we were like, all right, man, like you ready to do this thing together? Mm. And, uh, and we, yeah, we shook hands right over by, um, right over by Newberry street, like on the corner of Newberry street by the WeWork office. And we were like, look, let's just do it together. Let's share and everything and let's uh, go build this thing. That's sweet. That is sweet. And now I like, I've always been interested and I think I hope this podcast is for recent college grads or people making career moves or people maybe in their twenties thinking about doing what you're doing. And I'd love to like get your thought process on like the financial aspect, like, you know, you don't have to share the the anything you don't feel comfortable with, obviously. But like, when you take that leap of faith, is there like how how do you equate the whole cash flow situation that goes along with it? You know what I'm saying? Like, and how did you build that modeling out? Like, I I'd love just the framework of how you approached it. I think is interesting. Not necessarily the dirty details. Yeah. Although, share whatever the fuck you want. Like, no, so it's like. Uh... I think I was just in a very fortunate position, right? Like a lot of kids don't have opportunity. I had opportunity. Um, The last position I was in, I asked for a little bit of commission because I was doing really well and I hadn't asked for anything in like years of being successful. And uh, my former boss gave me like 600X or whatever, 6X, what I requested in a commission deal or arrangement. And so he positioned me to have the opportunity to create a mutually rewarding relationship where I made a lot of money and so did the company. Mm. And um, I think because he put that commission deal in place, I was super motivated. And uh, and yeah, and then I just started saying, like, man, who can I take down that's at the top of the industry? And then I just start, you know, like the good thing about a fourth generation company is they are 
you have so much experience to build on where it's like we're we're successful with this profile of customer. And so I'm like knowing that who is that profile and it just happened to be kind of top of the industry companies. And so I just started making cold calls to C level and, um, you know, had a lot of success. And then long story short, <clears throat> had a lot of success there. Uh, I didn't even need to focus. I don't believe in like focusing on your savings and stuff. It's crazy to say, and it's because I'm in sales, but it's like focus on earning money. You yeah. know, like, don't focus on saving like a hundred bucks a week. Why don't you focus on making like 10 grand a week? You know, like, <clears throat> like it's exponentially different from my perspective. Cash flow solves problems. <laughs> yeah. Cash flow solves. It's true though. It's true. I feel like for me, the only way I uh, absolutely subscribe to the same philosophy of like I was not a saver and I was more like I made a couple of good decisions in terms of some guidance I had. But like until I had kids, then I was like, shit, OK, now I have to actually like put money away. But I think what you're getting at is you ended up having a little nest egg, not even realizing. It. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, once I mean, once the. Once money really starts rolling in, like it's not that you don't really realize it because it's flowing like at a rate that you would never <clears throat> have expected five years prior. Right. <clears throat> but um, but yeah, man. So I ended up building up a nest egg, and then I and then I weighed. I looked at my expenses. You know, then I went through all the logical spreadsheets, and I I netted out that I had about 18 months of runway, which and, and all my student loan debt had been wiped away over the years. So it's right. like car debt any debt had been wiped first and then i built the nest egg and then i was able to do something with it so you're so when you make the when you make the call to go in with nick you're like i got 18 months to get cash flow positive again yeah more like six to twelve i don't want to go down to yeah no that's kind of what i'm I'm, I'm interested in your mindset that way yeah yeah i think i think like uh i think the one piece of advice i've gotten from former business owners is like you never know when the inflection point is and so make sure you've paid off your debt saved as much as you can and you know feel comfortable jumping into it knowing that you may not make money for two years yeah you know right right so um that's the perspective i had right or wrong no cool 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 so then you're in it. You've been doing it. How long have you been doing it now? I've been uh, I've been with the company for uh, a year and a quarter, um, but I've been full time out of Coughlin for three months. Okay, so you're twenty five percent into that first year, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. And and you just moved to Texas. Yep. Austin, Texas. What was the um. Besides the tax ramifications, what was the what was like the goal behind behind moving to Texas? It's pretty crazy because, uh, well, first, there's tons of software companies down here. Yeah. Um, and there's tons of authors. It's like whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, Tim Ferriss or Ryan Holiday or A, B, C, D, E, like every author, for whatever reason, lives in Texas. And so, you know, uh it's a combination of being young, having freedom and wanting to explore different places. And like, yeah. I've always, I've always looked and I know we're going off script, but I've always looked yeah. at like the regret minimization framework that Bezos um, talks about all the time. And so I always frame explain everything. That. Explain that for the for people. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, if you're going to, when you're making big decisions, 
make the decision based on you when you're 80 years old and you know you're you know you don't have anything going on and you're thinking back on times in your life when you're like should I do that or should I not do that so that's the regret minimization framework just framing things from the perspective of an 80 year old okay cool so I look back and I was like look man I'm you know I'm traveling while I'm single and while I'm young um building trying to build a business you know while I'm young so I, I yeah. dig it I dig it so, but so Texas was more explore exploratory software and authors than anything else it just happened to be you know yeah and I did Argentina earlier in the year yeah, and that was right. last you know that's right how long were you in Argentina for again uh just 6 weeks still though that's unbelievable yeah. that's unbelievable I feel like it takes a good um month anywhere you go to actually appreciate the culture or just start to understand what's actually going on just to get acclimated yeah so that's how the one time I've been able to travel for significant time I was like man you really don't get it for a week changed my perspective on vacations forever yeah it's like this is cool and I'm seeing stuff but like I don't know what the hell is going on here like I don't get any of this stuff you know you're yeah, really yeah. a tourist. You're really a tourist. So. I mean, like when I was in Argentina, I learned about uh, like inflation. So there's all these things that maybe you learn about in school or whatever. But then when you're in an economy or you're in a different culture, it's like, whoa, that's what that is. Right. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so here we're like just a typical like sheltered person growing up, you know, and now I'm in Argentina. It's like if you had 40 Argent, forty thousand dollars worth of like Argentinian pesos in the bank. Like two years ago, yeah. Now you're down to like fifteen or like ten, and so talk about like inflation of their currency. I mean, like, and not only that, but because the government, uh, because um, different countries don't are no longer backing their currency. Yes. Now the government is requesting these large like deposits to be able to go out and buy a place. And so now not only did you just lose like 75 percent of what you saved in an economy where it's hard to save anything. Now you also have to go out and put down a uh, down payment on a home that's like 75 percent of the value of the home. And so like but the place is still ridiculously beautiful. And so it's like. Man, like those people who are my age, they live with their parents until they're, you know, some of them rent, but and never save a dollar. And a lot of them don't want to save money because their currency is just yeah, down the street. And what's the point? You're playing the lottery every day with your currency. So people just wait until like their parents pass or whatever, and then they have their place. And then they're like 50 years old at that time. Wow. Yeah. That's a little different culturally. Yeah. And you would never figure that out, by the way, if you spent two weeks there. Never figure that out, no. Never figure that out. I mean, no. that's the stuff That's the stuff I love, like when you immerse yourself. That's really cool. Oh, awesome. So so Book Thinkers is also a way for you to, like, explore. You view it as a way to not only be building a business, but also take advantage of kind of some of the circumstances that surround you. Like, you can explore. You've got a little cash. Like, take advantage of where, you know, some of the hard work you did. You know, the last seven, eight years. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. That's cool. That's totally. cool. So, so beyond the fun stuff, how has how couple questions, but like all on the whole ownership mindset versus part of the cog, right? Like 
you were part of a pretty big machine before, treated you well, you made good money. Do you ever look back at some of those? We started by saying, you started by saying how your guilty pleasure is kind of fucking with some of the senior manager to a degree and proving them wrong. Like, do you now like kind of see things differently being in the ownership seat of a company? Um, you know, based on where you were before? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, I mean, Chris, Chris Coughlin always had my back when I, uh, went after, uh, senior management. Yeah. I mean, I had my back because I didn't go after him like viciously. Right. No, no. You I know. know, I know. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, Ryan has, he has, he has great decorum with people. He's great, yeah. And so I view that as being something that's, like, really cool. Like, I learned a lot from people like that. It's very hard to be like that and um, and grow a culture like that, grow a business like that. Um, I mean, for me, the, the big difference is probably um, there's no blueprint. So, like, at Coughlin – you can get in a room. You could say, this is where we've had past success. This is where we create success because this is how the industry is going. And this is what our assets are. You know, it's like, duh, like, let's go. It's not duh. I mean, there's, but you got to do this strategy and then put in the work. Um, when you're, when you're an, when you're an owner, it's, uh, there's absolutely no blueprint. I mean, I could read a million books, but the reality is like books can take you in tangents, you know, books are very specific a lot of times to certain topics, but there's just absolutely no blueprint to getting there. And, and, um, and, and you also got to create like new advisors and mentors for your business because it's no longer like your boss or your boss's boss or whatever. Makes sense. Uh, so yeah. I'll go ahead. Go, go, keep going. No, I was going to say one other thing I realized that, is, is almost like a hindsight thing. It's, um, the value of alignment. So like, there's probably no greater, there's probably in my opinion, which, you know, I'm a brand new business owner, 29. I I don't have wisdom or anything, but, um, you know, I I view there being nothing more important than getting alignment consistently. And and so like you could be 85% aligned with your partner but like you got to work for 90, you got to work for 95 because it's yeah. like having a partnership. It's like when you're out of alignment with someone, there's nothing more frustrating. And, um, and that's a hard process. And I think looking back on my time when I was in sales, like that's also really critical, you know, like yeah. you can, you can, um, you can go in when I was like 22 or 23 and like attack the GM or whatever, because he's wrong. Or you could go in and be like, Hey, I just want to make sure we're aligned. And let me share kind of what my thoughts are on this. Let me hear yours and let's build out some alignment together. Right. Did you find it was easier to be aligned at a larger organization than it is today at a person of two, a team of two? Is it just you and Nick? It's just me and Nick. Well, I mean, we got, we've got like a team of like eight to 10, but um, they're all subcontractors. Yeah. I, I think it's hard to get alignment anywhere. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, these were people, and we make mistakes, and we and we don't. Uh, and words are imperfect, especially now. Like especially like the environments we're in today, it's like not only do you have to be careful with what you say and when or how you say it and yeah. who you say it to. I mean, 
I, look, I don't know. I, I, it's always hard to be aligned, but I think it's even increasingly getting harder. I uh, I agree. I I have a hypothesis on the matter um, that I'm banking on coming true, but I genuinely believe that like people speaking their mind and um, being real with people, even when it's uncomfortable, I think will end up being what wins in the future. Like, I think we're just through a time right now where people are walking on eggshells and don't want to say the wrong thing. And honestly, it's my favorite part about working in a small business is like, I, you know, I could certainly go out there and get fired in a second by saying the wrong thing, but like, there's less corporate speak, right? Yeah. I got to do the right thing. I got to lead by example, that kind of stuff. But I'm, I think that um, you're going to create a generation that's fed up with PC and they don't even care anymore. If you know, it's like, it's like the future will be apolitical. So like, I don't care what, what you do. Like, but as long as we're, we're getting results and we're driving, at least as the business world is concerned, right? Like I think that, so that's my hypothesis on where we're going. And clearly it's not very well defined. I stumbled through that explanation, but like, I just think authenticity is what's going to win down the road. Even I if, was wondering if you were diving into this theory, come on, what else? Well, I just think like, like, so like, um, when I read the books, like the challenger sale, right? Like, so I think what you and I really found some friendship on in the beginning was like talking about our sales techniques and talking about how we would go and acquire customers. And like, in the beginning, it was like, I wanted to be the suck up and the guy they liked the most when I was like really new at my job. It's like, shut up, smile and say, yes, I can do whatever the F you want me to say, want me to do. And then I think when I got good at my job and by good, I mean, I started to understand what actually happened in the background. And also I started to understand and anticipate my customers problems before they happened. I felt way more gumption and also, you know, you're making some money, so you're not living and dying by every sale, right? You can like, you can take a little bit more risk. I felt like I'd be on the phone call with a customer at a meeting and I would just be like, do you, like, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think you're completely wrong. Like you're not considering this, this, and this, which is like very challenger salesy. But for me, it was like, no, I'm just not going to let this person stumble into the bullshit. And I think in the beginning, like there was this nervousness factor of like, shit, I can't believe I'm saying this. Like, I'm still got the opportunity to lose money. And then I think what it did was it created stronger relationships. So then those people leave, they go to other companies, and you're their first phone call because they're like, I know at least this guy's going to shoot me straight. I might hate what he has to say, but I think he's at least going to shoot me straight. And I think for me, that was like a just a huge moment of clarity of like, man, ultimately what's making me successful is just giving people my honest gut feeling which was it's funny because i've mentioned this on a podcast before one of the more impactful parts of my leadership development was sitting at a coughlin company family business event and um senior was saying how he will always give people enough rope uh to break their leg but never enough to hang themselves was the quote he used and then he was like and he goes i think gut is one of the best things we have in business and he goes your gut sometimes gets it wrong but when it gets it wrong it adjusts and I think that actually, so I took that mindset from sales and then I applied it to like the internal dynamics here at Davis. Like every company has politics, right? But I literally was like, you know what? I have nothing to lose. I'm 30 years old. I'm super employable. Like this is, 
you know, a little while ago. And I'm like, I, like if I tell Bob that I think that's a terrible idea and I come with like legitimate facts and I'm not just saying it to say it kind of your point of like alignment piece. I found that what probably was never what I thought I would do in a business corporate environment. I thought I would just be a sheep and follow what went on. But I found that by, by just speaking my truth, it made my life almost easier and I got more out of it. So that's kind of what I'm trying to articulate. But I, but I do appreciate the fact that people don't have the same opportunities that I did. They didn't have the same mentor and guidance. And like, and I think it's hard to motivate people who are especially early in their career to be like, yo, dude, just let it rip. Like rip the bandaid off and just tell the person go fuck off. But do it in a manner that like you never lose respect for the person because I think it's going to pay dividends down the road. So that's my very long winded answer. <laughs> dude, that's great. I don't really have, I don't really have it like completely framed, but I think it just be, unapologetically genuine, which I think is someone, something that other people have said, but it took me a long time to get to the point where I feel like I'm living it. And I also don't feel like I'm fully there. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's, I mean, man, if anyone takes anything from the podcast, I feel like it should be that because, uh, that's all cool. That's, that's, I mean, that's the world I lived in. That's the world I had success in. I mean, even like, um, so, <laughs> When I, when I tell, uh, leadership or whatever, when I show them that they're wrong or, you know, uh, yeah. when I was young, um, it, it, it is a guilty pleasure because some people are just so hard headed that it's like, dude, you're so old and you're so set in your ways. Like you got to change. Yes. Uh, and so that I found enjoyable because I yes. just enjoy the back and forth as part of that. Um, but then like, um, but then there are other cases where, like, I was working with Bill Larson, my old boss. Yep. Love Bill, man. Love Bill. I know you do, too. And, uh, and yeah, like, I told him, like, there are a lot of times where I sat down at his desk, and he's the most approachable guy. And yes. I would be like, Bill, like, I don't agree. You know, like, <laughs> like, we should not be focusing on that client. We should be focusing on that one. And, um, and so Bill at the time just didn't understand why I had that perspective. And so now I'd have to share it. And then a lot of times I'd have to reshare it. Yeah. And then sometimes it'd be like, dude, you're wrong. He'd be like, no, you're wrong. And I'd be like, no, I'm right. And we'd go back and forth. And, um, but that ended up like, it ended up being to the point where I was like, you know what? At some point I was like, fuck it. Bill's not going to, Bill is not on the same page as me, but I'm still going to go do everything I can and, and go against what we said. And half the time I was wrong, but I right. learned and, yep. and other times I was right. But the times I was right, we ended up landing huge clients. And at the end, Bill was the one who was closing it, you know, so yeah. like, I'm doing all the work. Bill's not in agreement, whatever. Bill's not in agreement. We get to the goal line and he's just a natural like closer. And so now he's like, and so I worked all the angles, but I eventually, I just had to take ownership over how I feel and I, I couldn't restrict that and ultimately worked out. And that's the same way I feel about being a business owner. Do you feel like, I know Bill, right? And Bill, um, similar to Bob, like they, they do have, I would say they're not in the, uh, I'm old and set in my ways category. Like those are two guys that probably are pretty like, all right this young idiots in my office again, I'll hear them out. Like they gave us the time of day. And um, the two things that I found out through that process were 
maybe three. The one thing was I'm so pumped I work for someone who's willing to change their mind. But two, when they, I started to realize when they dig their heels in on certain things, I really would stand back and be like, what am I missing? Like, because this guy's got an open mind and now he's pushing back. So what, like, and I, it would force me to like be relentless about like, all right, now I agree with you, but I don't know why I agree with you other than my gut is trusting that you're probably right. Like, why? Like, you got to explain that shit to me, man, because I'm not going to come here and, and, and not gain anything other than, you know, the yes that I'm taking from you. Um, but the third thing was for me was alignment. I feel like that those conversations are what actually builds alignment. Yeah. So you have the foo-foo conversations of like, what are we working on? That kind of shit. But until you get to like the meat, as, as Lencioni says, right, mining for conflict, um, you don't, I don't think you, I don't think you really are truly aligned. No, and you don't get to alignment without like authenticity and transparency. Difficult conversations. Yeah. Difficult diff- conversations. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. It's been harder. It's been harder now. Our senior team, we do two retreats a year off, um, site. And uh, those are the best weeks. They're they're exhausting. There's passionate discussion. But every time I leave that thing, I'm like, these people got my back. And I feel it like I can feel it. We're, we're in the middle of one, right? We're, we're the farthest we are away, right? We're three months in from the last one. And we still have three months to go for the next retreat. This is where the relationships take mending. Because we haven't had that like robust conversation, and I can already be like, oh man, I can't wait to all be in a room and just talk shit and get it all out, and like get it all out and get on the same page and eliminate the crap and focus on the thing. So it's uh, I had no idea our conversation was going to go there today, but I think that's exactly that's a, I mean it's a huge point for anyone because I think there's a lot of people that believe it in their gut, but they're too afraid to voice their opinion. Yeah. And you know what happens when you voice your opinion? Chances are, like, there's a decent chance that the other person is actually more on your page than you think they are. Shockingly more of the time than you're you're 100% right. But uh, it takes a lot to get there. I mean, I remember when I had to quit Coughlin Companies. Like, dude, I had the best mentor on the planet and Chris Coughlin, like, guy who's grown the business like a hundred X and, uh, and, uh, he's like a young dude who's just a perfect leader. And it's like, I got to go share with him now that I'm quitting. And and I was the only guy in business development. (laughs) And it's like, like that was not an easy conversation at all. And, um, and he was cool about it. Yeah. And so it's like, and he understood, you know, over time, he understood where I was coming from. And now he mentors me on like life things where he's almost like a dad. And, you know, he's he's like yeah. mentoring me on like whatever in life, because I always brought him authenticity throughout the journey. Like I didn't quit on a dime. I gave him like three months of, uh, yeah. of time, you know, to build something out. And then, and then I stayed on, we worked the deal and then like the next the next march um covid hit and so now like here i am working uh you know here i am in like this very unique and independent role that we created and now it's like hey ryan i just fired or i just uh furloughed everyone else in business development for both of our subsidiaries and i i need you i'm like dude like this is right when we're about to launch our app 
Yeah. You know, like, uh, and now I'm back in this role, except also having our medical group. And though, like I said, Chris, I can do this for some period of time and I can hold you down, but you know, this isn't my, my vision. And yeah. so like we did the thing and, and now he's just a mentor to me in my business. So that's cool. That's cool. I yeah. don't know Chris. I don't have an intimate relationship with Chris. You know, it's like, Hey, how are you, Mark? Kind of, it's very, it's very service level, but I do. The one thing I can tell is that you can tell a good leader by when you go in to tell them news that you think is going to rock their world. And they're like, no, man, we'll be fine. <laughs> and like, but we'll be fine. And you're like, you know, you're like, it's, um, it's how I know I haven't made it yet to like the top level of leadership. Cause I think there's still some things that rattle me at times. Like, and maybe I don't show it outwardly, but I get in my car and I go home and I'm like, how the fuck am I going to deal with that fucking thing? You know, and maybe they do too. Like maybe they do too. And they just keep the straight face. But, um, the level of poise under pressure is, uh, it's impressive. Ridiculous. You know, yeah. you're the only business development guy at a vastly growing company. That employs a shitload of people, and you're like, yo, dude, I got a piece out. <laughs> right? And you're freaking out about giving them that news because you, you're doing the math of the dominoes falling. And he's like, yep, we'll find a way. We will yeah. persevere. Yeah, it's so crazy. But, yeah. like, Chris and I had, like, a win-win relationship for years, and it's all because, like, we would authentically tell each other when we needed to tell each other something. How do you think – I can't believe we're already six, 59 minutes in. This is awesome. You're, you're an easy dude to talk to. Um, and because I've been told the podcast shouldn't be four hours long because no one will listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm incented to cut it short and then redo this. But as, as, so as we move in that direction, which I hate doing, do you, how do you think like, how do you help kids have your epiphany moment in college? Like how, and how do we help people like have the confidence to do it? Cause I, cause in my opinion, I don't know if it's a confidence factor or it's like a training deficiency of like, they don't know how to have difficult conversations in a polite way. Well, my, uh, my second, uh, favorite swear word is pussy. Yeah. <laughs> so don't be a pussy. I mean, no. right though, there's a, there's a little bit of that. Yeah. There's uh, a bit of that. Look, man, I don't know who your sponsor is, probably Davis, but dude, you gotta get in with the new Joe Rogan's podcast for two hours, man. I know. You bring They're on interesting three. people. They're three. You talk for three hours, but They're you know. Three hours. I, but I do. I I as much as you like joke about don't being a pussy, I would say. You know, the whole Marcus Aurelius memento mori, obviously, right? Like, you know, to con contemplate your death till you live it. Like, I will say, in moments of, like, tough decisions, I don't necessarily, or, like, things where I'm like, do I go for it or not? I will, I will have my, like, um, stoner Vermont thought process of, like, at the end of the day, I'm on a giant rock floating through space at a million miles an hour, and none of this shit really matters, so might as well let it rip. Like, I'm going to end up in a box like the rest of everyone else. Like, And so why not let it rip? That's like when I – like, if I – like, on my tombstone, I hope it just says, he let it rip. You know, like, because I think that's like – that's what it – like, for me, that's the fun of life. You know what I mean? So – and that's how I've always, like, rationalized irrational things to do at 
moments of my life. It's like, well, I'm just gonna let it rip. <laughs> I think mine's kind of selfish, man. Like, um, if I have negative headspace at all, yeah, I'm like, this ain't, this isn't happening. Like, I'm not putting myself through this negative headspace, and so whatever's in that head, I'm sharing. And uh, so that's one thing is, um, and look, man, like I am single, I'm going on 30 and all these things. So I don't know if all these are right, but it's always served me well. And, uh, and so like if, if, and the other thing is like, I don't know, man, if, if I'm feeling something time and time and time again, like if I don't act on that, I'm just going to become like a turtle. Like, right. I just, if I don't. If I don't act on that, I'm just going to become a shell of myself, which I can never, I can never let myself become that. So it's almost like, um, you know, I'm realizing now sometimes, um, yeah, it could be hard for other people to deal with somebody like that. But, uh, I think, I, it, I, think it, I think it is hard for people to deal with that. And I think it's, um, I think what we're basically saying is you got to hack why you make decisions like that. And, fi- and and figure it out because for me it's not selfish i do the opposite is that i i say yes to fucking everything and then i find myself like in a total fucking tailspin in fact it happened last weekend like my wife's like what are we doing this weekend and i was like i am doing nothing like i'm gonna take the kids to soccer and i'm gonna clean the house and like organize the shed because i need to go through this like mental de-cleansing and sure enough dude i woke up on monday morning i had the highest whoop recovery i've had in like a month and a half it was like completely mental and completely like not doing a good job of managing things in the moment, but just shouldering it all. So I think yeah. that level of self-awareness is like the hard. I think that's the hardest thing to achieve is when you're in touch with it and then staying in touch with it constantly. It's hard. It's uh, look, it's hard not to, too. It's hard. Yes. It's hard to recognize what you want and do it opposite. I mean, screw that. That's yeah. So it's a depreciating cycle so it's it's so true um, so i always say i always say follow your heart i don't know what time we got i'll share this but i always say follow your heart and so what i mean by that is like your head logically is going to make you know your head's you don't do things based on your head you right. know i don't like uh, i do like following your gut but a lot of times your gut's wrong like when you really like care about a girl or you really care about something it's like your gut can drive you and it's like super emotional path you're drinking if you know if i'm drinking uh all night long it's like if i'm following my gut it's probably a wrong decision (laughs) and so um i always think like follow your heart in the end because the the heart is like something where if you really feel so passionately about something you need to share that and um and you need to have the courage to do it so i've just always had the courage to do it yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. Do you find that you gain courage to do things that you are uncomfortable with by gaining confidence in other areas? So I'll give you an example. Like for me, this sounds so stupid, but the truth of the matter is, I'm a different person when I go to the gym. And it's not like in the be- a lot of it's physical, but most of it's mental, and the vast majority of the feeling of it is like when I look at the workout and I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that. And then I, you know, then you get through the middle of it and you're like, I'm going to make it. And then you're done with it. And like, I smashed that thing. And you're like, everything else from here on out today is cake. Yeah. Like that was the hardest thing I'm going to do today. And so for me, there's a direct correlation 
between like good days and bad days for me and how I start them and and exercise is like probably the most important factor. It's, 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 but like if I go ride a bike, it's not the same. It has to be like a mentally stimulating exercise where I like have to be like, holy shit, am I going to be able to do this? Like some of that level of challenge. So, and I find when I gain that confidence in that, something that I should be able to do, I get to work and I'm like, I'm going to fucking let it rip today. Right. <laughs> like, that's how it's so, it's so weird. Do you have stuff like that or am I a psychopath? No, you're, you're, I mean, you might be a psychopath, but not from that <laughs> perspective. <laughs> That's like how for me, but that's how I deal with some of that stuff. Like I'm super stressed out. It's like, go back to basics. It's like, wake up, go to the gym, take a shower, get into work and slay. Like that's, that's for me. Like the, the I do it every, I do it in every aspect of my life. Like if I'm on this podcast, you know, I have respect for the podcast and you and everything, but if yeah. something like if you're asking me like a weird question or whatever, I'm like, dude, let's just cut the shit and cut to the chase you know yes. like yes. in all of my life if i feel like something's like weird i'm just gonna cut to it i think you just build that almost like courage muscle yes and, and then like yeah and then you're unstoppable but then and, there's, and times think, there's times where you also like you haven't been doing that and now you need to start hitting it again yes you get in a negative cycle and it makes you disingenuous and it makes you unauthentic right like because you're not you're not your true self so yeah. Dude, I love it. Mannion, just dropping nuggets of gold, dude. Gold. I saw Bill Larson. I talked to Bill Larson last week. I'm going to see him next week. I'll make sure to say hi. And uh, I hope I hope this is a very listened to podcast because I think we did hit on some really cool, deep, deeper stuff, which helps when you've, you know, shared a couple of martinis with someone in the past and, you, you know, you know, it gets them going. But, uh, dude, I really appreciate you coming on. I look forward to doing this again, man. Yeah, thanks, man. This was awesome. Anytime. Love it. Love it. Good luck in Texas. Let it rip, and uh, we'll be following the Book Thinker's journey. All right. Thanks, bro. Awesome. Take it easy, man. Bye. All right. See ya.